This is Crown Countdown U Radio, Canada's home for college sports on the TSN Radio Network. Nation podcast uh, recorded live and on tape and on uh, various digital properties here in uh, this fantastic studio that we have in a barn. Yep, in a barn. We got our shoot inter- <laughs> earlier today. Got interrupted by a tractor going by. Uh, the glamorous life here on uh, on uh, I wanted to call it KCU, but that's no longer the case. No, KGN. No. That's the second time you've done that. That's a fine. That's a five dollar uh, yeah. fine. Now you can stipend my <laughs> my exorbitant salary. Yeah, that reminds me. I need to send you some money, don't I? Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you about that later on. Actually, yeah. <laughs> I, need hey. buy, I need to buy a new couch over at the Randall household. So, but by the way, um, Gord is wearing a Vancouver Grizzlies hat with a classic teal grizzly bear on it from. Uh, the mid-1990s. Uh, I am wearing the BC Lions uh, retro hat uh, from the 1970s era. By the way, a putrid era for the BC Lions when they when they had this logo going. Legit from, logo, though. Yeah, from 19... Uh, Is that the this, Chuck this, Noll days? This, uh, this, this logo uh, was from 1968. They took a year off in 1971 when they put the BC Centennial logo on their helmet for some reason. And then they had these on until 1978. There you so go. Okay. that's the one that you see on the sidelines right now. And there, there's other yeah, things. Yeah, because they went through a, a Grey Cup drought between 64 and 85, correct? That is correct. Yeah. Yeah, that was a long yeah. Now, worth noting what else I'm wearing, which is shorts, just like I was wearing shorts yesterday as well. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> those of you who follow me on Twitter have probably seen me going off about this. But what an absolute freaking embarrassment that enough people here in Vancouver no. complained to the BC Lions that they felt compelled to close the roof for last week for this weekend's Toronto Argonauts BC Lions game. Like I'm cord, I'm cord. I mean, honestly, that's a good. Bring a blanket. That's a good impression a of the. That's a good impression of the age of most Lions fans, I think. But I like. Are you kidding me? I mean, oh God! Like I've dealt with my whole life. The rest of Canada mocking us for. Yeah. For oh, you guys think you know winters? We know real winters, and and it's just like you look at stuff like that. It's just fully deserved, like just embarrassing. And I point out today, I pointed this out to you earlier. The MLS team here, the Whitecaps, is playing at home today. Next day, and their roof, and the roof is open That's for them. Right. You're telling me the soccer fans are hardier than the football fans around here? People, give your head a shake. Maybe your friend Wally Buono was at that last game and wanted to keep warm. Oh, he he, he was he nice. was. Uh, he loved having the roof he closed. He loved having the roof closed. Yeah. Right? Um, optics I, I be think, damned. Well, I think that he always thought wistfully back to the era when that was a pressurized, inflated dome, and it was 
awful to come and play in for other teams and as a result they have one of the they always had one of the best home field advantages in the league because not only was it loud because they actually drew people Mm -hmm. and it was enclosed so the noise just rattled around in there it was pressurized and dead air in there Mm -hmm. and it just was absolutely sweltering 525 million dollars to uh put the hole in the roof Mm-hmm. Uh, through that renovation. There was another previous en- uh, renovation just before the Olympic Games. Which uh, I was it? fully behind at the time, yeah. and I know it was a controversial issue out here because of the amount of money being invested into it. I still, like, I still am behind the fact that they did that, but as we talked about on last week's podcast, I just don't think that it's the right situation for the Lions. Yeah, it, it, at the end of the day, it's... It's a beautiful facility. It's a beautiful facility, and One of the best they in the invested $835 million, $838, uh, into the facility to close the roof on it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the lighting's nicer in it, the scoreboard's nicer in it. Uh, the way it's configured right now after the renovation, you can't play baseball in it. Yeah. Uh, it's a football, rugby, uh, soccer facility now. It's a rectangular field sports facility. Mm-hmm. So uh, any idea of the Canadians coming inside, even though there's still a baseball uh, press box there, is uh, out of the question. Um, but we talked a lot about BC Place and all of that last week. One of the things um, I want to talk about, just because we're wearing these two hats, and we talked about great college names, what is the best era of uniforms in sport? Because because the 1990s is sublimated crap as far as I'm concerned, especially as far as the NBA is concerned. You know what? Like, it's, like the um, way they destroyed some classic uniforms in the NBA in the 1990s was a complete travesty, and then the NHL was right on their heels. In, in that well, it's process. funny because I like I'm a '90s kid, right? Yeah. I was born in mid 1989, so yeah. the '90s was my era of growing up. And and I, to be honest, I love all the over the over the top '90s stuff. Some of it was absolutely outrageous. I think back to like the the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. Oh, with that's the, the one that was that's the one that occurred to me when I was talking about the NHL. Yeah, or the other one that always the stands King, out to LA me. Kings. That's a good one too. <laughs> or the St. Louis Blues with all the horns oh, on the front. They're bringing oh. that back for a year. Right? I know. They are as a as an alternate i think but you know somebody from toronto tweeted out that like oh i defy you to name a better nba uniform nba uniform from the 90s than the raptors throwbacks that they're oh, gonna wear this year and i was like are you kidding me i can name i can name a bunch of them yeah. the grizzlies what the sonics were wearing at the time was a better look the orlando magic had a fantastic look in the mid 90s mm-hmm. i mean it, there was some good stuff there as well but um yeah i don't know it, best era for uniforms I, that's a that's a tough call. I, 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 to be honest with you, I really like our modern stuff. I, I like, I like where a lot of teams are going with modern stuff. They're simplifying their color palette. It's kind of the, but it's the, kind of the pendulum neo swinging retro, back. Though, it's isn't kind of, it? Yeah, it kind of is. It, it's the pendulum swinging back in the other direction after the over-the-top extravagant '90s and early 2000s, right? Well, there was a wave in between there, and the NFL discovered it that in many cases the best uniforms were the original uniforms. Mm-hmm. And I think you can point to the New York Giants after all the all the different things they did through the uh, through the 70s and 80s that when they went back to their classic 40s and 50s uniforms they reestablished the, their mm-hmm. they look like gotham in those yeah, uniforms well, and the um, what you started to see in the in the late 90s early 2000s 
was a lot of these like muted color palettes. Mm -hmm. So a lot more navies than royal blues, for example. Yeah. A lot of the like the Vegas gold as opposed to a true vibrant gold. Mm -hmm. And I think in the in the two thousands, people started going back to those bright vibrant colors that really strike you and, and create effective looks. I mean, the Lions are a good example. They've worked a bunch of orange back into their color scheme over that time period, where think back to what they were wearing in the mid 90s, and it was black jerseys with white numbers and a small orange trim. With silver helmets. And silver pants, yeah. right? There was minimal orange in it, and it was... So so, so the yeah. question I have for you on that is, why did they go back to vibrant? vibrant colors for the most part. The only one that bucked the trend, I think, were the UBC Thunderbirds, where they've gone to navy and, and old gold. And they had it right, and then they and went back. And they went back <laughs> on the same year that Pitt officially went back to royal and, royal royal and, and, and yellow, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So the reason for that is what I've got in my hand here is the phone, mm -hmm. it is that vibrant colors on smaller devices stand out better and are easier to track. Yep. That's why the majority, that's why there's color rush. Mm -hmm. Right. That that's why uh, a number of these teams have gone back to those that basic color palette again, mm -hmm. rather than washing out their colors. Uh, yeah, and the, I mean the other thing is that they've expanded their line of of uniforms that they wear. Right, and this is I think it's something that kind of stems from college uh, originally because they've realized that that you know the Oregon Duck School of of thought mm -hmm. that's a pretty important recruiting tool for them. But I mean the more. Basically, the more uniforms you wear, the more uniforms you can sell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's that's what a lot of the a lot of the organiza professional organizations' marketing strategies appear to be. Though well, the CFL, I know, has I think for money reasons more than anything else, but the CFL's put a put a pretty strict limitation on what their teams can wear and how many different options their teams can wear. Well, they went through a phase. The CFL did uh, in uh, from about. 2009 to 2014, where Montreal oh, had five different uniforms. Yeah. Right? They, they were almost the Oregon Ducks of the CFL, right? And there was a big push towards retro, I think, especially insofar as the CFL is concerned. By the way, they, I would say too, no team has improved their look over the last couple of years more than the Montreal Alouettes. I absolutely love their current look. I, I love the Winnipeg Blue Bombers' current look. That's yep. it, it's it, that's a neo retro look. It's got all the same patterns. It yep. went back to the Royal. Uh, old gold is always part of their color scheme, yep. but the Royal really punches it up. I think it's the official and, color and, of the province of Manitoba, yeah, right? And and the W, the simple W. I don't care if it looks like the Washington Huskies. It's a simple W. No, it's I what, like it. It's what we grew up with. It's simple. It's like the, the way the R used to be on the uh, Ottawa Rough Riders well, helmets. Well, it's, it's a big, thick, white block W. It really, really, it, it really pops, yeah. even though it's just white. Well, it's got history and it's got continuity to it. Mm -hmm. it, it, it attaches generations to the team, mm -hmm. right? Uh, yeah. it, for the same reason, you know, putting the BC Lions logo back on the helmet, it's still iconic. Yes. You know, uh, the chess piece that they had, the Michigan Panthers logo that they had, just didn't work all that well. No, it, it didn't. Uh, and, and like I said, they went through that era of being black primarily, and I wasn't a huge fan of that, even no. though that's what I grew up with. No. Uh, and they started to realize, hey, like part of our brand is we are the orange team. You know, when you have mm -hmm. a league that has so few teams, mm -hmm. you can be unique in your color, mm -hmm. right? So you've mm -hmm. got the Lions are the orange team. Uh, the Stampeders historically have been the red team. The Blue Bombers are blue. The Ruffies are green. And the, the Eskimos are gold with green, green in there gold. as well. Yeah. yeah. Right? And and so, and the Argos are all shades Double of blue. blue. Well, all, all, the, all the uniforms with the exception now, I guess, of the Raptors 
and TFC, all that blue flowed from the uh, Toronto Argonauts and the mm -hmm. Toronto Varsity Blues. That, yep. That's why Toronto has that color palette. Um, you know, the same reason that everything that flows out of Hamilton is black and gold. It's the Hamilton Wildcats and the Hamilton Tigers that mm -hmm. started those clubs yeah. uh, low those many years ago. And, the you know, I guess the same I'm glad you brought that up, by the way, because I did see somebody make a joke about the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Like, did people not know in Canada the Tigers <laughs> were cats? I'm like, obviously there's, there's a history. story behind it, you there's, don't. There's history. Yeah. There's some history here. There's yeah. plenty of history. How do you, how do you uh, you're... you're you're much younger than I am. Um, how do you sell history to uh, to millennials when it comes to sports? Is uh, there a value to it anymore? Yeah, there is. Um, one of the things I think that um, the, the way that sports have evolved in the last couple of years is people are, have become much more stat aware. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that you can tie that stuff in. It's a good way to, to provide a frame of reference for how the game has developed. Um, and, and kind of moved in the right direction. Um, I think um, one of the things that's kind of fallen by the wayside, though, is, is the knowledge of, like, some of those personalities yeah. that were out there. I mean, the, the, yeah. a lot of them no longer being around and alive, but, you know, losing the stories of just some of those outrageous, over-the-top personalities that, it used to, that you used to get in professional sports before they became so corporatized and... Mm -hmm. professional <laughs> for lack of a better mm -hmm. phrase right like mm -hmm. i'm thinking i mean i to me the number one game that that is all about history and steeped in its own history still is baseball right you know you think about mickey mantle for example you yeah. would never see a mickey mantle in today's day and age mm -hmm. he would wash out of the league mm -hmm. right like mm -hmm. you the closest you would see in today's day and age is like I, johnny manzel is probably your best yeah. comparison of a guy that just freaking lives hard <laughs> and yeah. and it's uh, you see how that gets that happens in the modern age, but I think those kinds of stories and keeping that kind of stuff alive is something that uh, you can you can use to connect young fans back to those old players because you can just say like oh man it was fun like there was a lot of so, so, so lot is, of characters so, so is personality the missing element right now when we take a look at a number of sports that are completely that are, that are being challenged to to fill seats completely. I, I, I absolutely think that, yes. How, how much of that is, is, is broken down to um, uh, personality across the board, and how much of that is broken down to uh, players from Latin America who don't necessarily have a handle on, on the language, mm -hmm. uh, that, that, that can't build that communications bridge uh, to, to the greater population through media. Ichiro broke through that as a Japanese player. Yep. And as we all knew for many years, mm -hmm. that guy could speak great English. Because yeah. we finally saw it when he finally gave his speech. He was fine with English. He just wanted, he's a perfectionist. He just wanted to get things right. To be honest, I think one of the one of the worst developments in Major League Baseball from that perspective has been the development of each team having its own translator, mm -hmm. uh, its own professional translator, and and I un I totally understand why they do that, and mm -hmm. I understand why the players feel safer communicating in their native language and having an expert translate it for them. Mm -hmm. So that stuff isn't lost in translation. And right. Unfortunately, we're in a media climate where everything is taken at surface level. And if you say something that could be taken the wrong way, somebody's going to spin it that way. Mm -hmm. And that's what these players are rightfully afraid of. Mm -hmm. That being said, though, I, we lose that personality not hearing their own voices. It also, when, when they're they're challenged for vocabulary and like that becomes part of the personality mm -hmm, mm -hmm, right and it becomes mm -hmm. part of the mystique around that player but mm -hmm. i don't think that that's a new problem in in the mlb i mean think of a guy like roberto clemente roberto clemente mm -hmm. very very well remembered 
um, but was never as big a star at the time as American contemporaries because of the because of the language barrier mm -hmm. and because of his limitations uh, in the English language. So that's not necessarily a new problem. And as these sports become more and more international, maybe that just becomes more and more of a barrier. Well, the one thing about Roberto Clemente was who he was away from the game. Mm -hmm. Right, and, and a lot of that was magnified because of a untimely death. death yeah, right? when he died. Yeah, um, you know, Thurman Munson died much in the in the same fashion, and 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 he still resonates with Yankee fans in a much bigger way than what his play really translated to, even though yeah. he was a fantastic baseball player. Yeah, exactly. So, but I mean, you know, tying it back to Canadian football, like who's who's the biggest personality in the CFL right now? I, I don't I don't even know. I mean, one of the things that the CFL kind of ran into. Remember, remember how awesome the touch, the celebrations used to be in the CFL. Yeah, like that yeah. used to be one of their biggest selling points. Yeah. And then they started cracking. Yeah, well, and then <laughs> they started. The oh, yeah. I, I always think back to like Jermaine Copeland oh, in that yeah. era yeah, of the, the Stampeders. Sled, uh, yeah, yeah, and Milt Stegall with the Bombers was yeah. doing similar stuff, and mm -hmm. Copeland when he was with the Alouettes as mm -hmm. well. But like the CFL started cracking down on the real over the top stuff. They were never as strict as the NFL was, but they started cracking down the the over-the-top stuff. They wanted to have a more professional look, and now we've lost that that level of excess and personality in the CFL game. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that the the league unfortunately really misstepped on that. I think they they almost need to just get rid of the unsportsmanlike conduct for celebrations. Mm -hmm. So long as you don't directly taunt at an opponent, mm -hmm. go nuts. Right. I think I think the best story in the CFL this year is Vernon Adams Jr. Mm -hmm. um, without a doubt in my mind. Here's a guy that uh, was almost out of the league, that uh, found his way back in on a third or maybe fourth chance, uh, improved his approach to studying the game. Yep. And Cody Fajardo is another guy that's yep. in that conversation oh, too. I agree. Had as well. I agree. Uh, but but here's a guy that's finally living up to. Uh, his promise that was there at the at the college level, mm -hmm. and, and, and quite frankly, one of these types of college quarterbacks that is, you know, as Bob Obilovich would say, well suited for the Canadian game, yeah. right? Um, he is ultimately well suited for this game. Yeah, he and, is. And, and and to finally see him uh, achieve to the level where we all expected that he could go, especially in the shadow of Johnny Manziel mm -hmm. in that particular marketplace. Yeah. He's doing what Johnny Manziel should have been doing, yes. quite frankly. Uh, one, I think the difference between the two of them is that he, when the when the league kind of chewed him up a little bit, it he developed some humility in dealing with it and, and put his nose back to the grindstone, yeah. whereas Johnny Manziel never did. Yeah, and never will. <laughs> probably Even if not, he's no. in the XFL, he never will. Yeah, no, probably not. He's, and, he's happier doing insurance commercials. Exactly. So that's who yeah. he is now. Yep. Well, and, and, and so, you know, good on Vernon Adams. But, yeah, I, I mean, I remember being very excited when, because as a Lions fan, I remember being very excited when he was first coming up here because he was one of the more exciting uh, quarterback prospects the Lions had coming around in a long time. And uh, then they flipped him for that first-round pick when they figured they had their quarterback situation settled when Jonathan Jennings started to break out mm -hmm. for them. And, mm -hmm. ugh, I mean, we know how that, how that went for them, but... Um, yeah, it's, uh, he, he's certainly an exciting piece. But again, though, like you see a little bit of the personality, but you just don't have those over-the-top characters that used to really define the CFL. And I think that the league's kind of missing that right now. And I don't know if it's because of their media policy or the climate these days. But, I mean, 
the other sport that has always struggled with personality for as long as I've been around, essentially, has been the NHL. No, oh, yeah. The yeah. NHL has the most bland personalities in professional sports. I mean, Connor McDavid's a perfect example. Like, Here, here's, uh, here's my take on that from spending a lot of time around football teams, spending a lot of time uh, on the bus with hockey teams mm -hmm. years ago. Hockey is a monoculture, with the exception of two goalies at the back of the bus. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody talks the same way. Everybody travels in the same bus. E everybody is on the same level. And they're generally, even if they're European, somewhat on the same socioeconomic level. Yep. There is not a, a, a wide variance between um, what a family does to put their kid through the sport. Yep. Right? And, and there's not a lot of diversity. Mm -hmm. um, from the front row to the back row of the bus. And, and quite frankly, the coaches are also reflective of that. Mm -hmm. um, football, on the other hand, by its very nature, because of the, um, the, uh, the, the, the various units within a game, have different attitudes associated with those mm -hmm. units. Uh, it has more diversity, especially more in Canada. There's, mm -hmm. a, there's a division between... Uh, black guys from the United States and, and, and black guys from Canada, sometimes with the uh, Caribbean background mm -hmm. that stands out from the American uh, experience. Mm -hmm. There's differences between the religious white guys from the States and the white guys from Canada. There's differences between the uh, university hey, guys and the junior guys. It's a minefield. It's a minefield for a coach. Yeah. To, to sew a team together mm -hmm. in Canadian football and to bring them together as a unit with a single purpose. For sure, yeah. And, and, and so to, to get back to the, uh, the concept of, you know, uh, hockey being boring, it's because they're in a monoculture. Mm -hmm. Football should, They're especially also the types in Canada, of breed those interesting yep. uh, individuals. Sean well, Lemon's an interesting individual. I want to mm -hmm. hear that guy talk. Yeah, right? for sure. James, yeah. James Wilder is a grandstander, but I still want to hear the guy talk. But even I've, no I've noticed James Wilder, there's pressure on him to shut up. Yep. You notice that? Yeah. Well, and even like Odell Willis is here in Vancouver now, and he, uh, early on in his career, was yep. one of the biggest personalities in the league. And he still Swagger is behind rule. the scenes. Yeah. He still is behind the scenes, but it's muted in public now because he's just... He's realized that it's easier for him just to not show that side of Get him. Along. It's, unfortu it's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. It does feel like they've lost something. And you know what you pointed out with with hockey too. Not only is it a monoculture, it's monoculture. It's a monoculture of people that have always had something to lose. Yeah. And that's where you get like with the with the socioeconomic. Uh, status of a lot of the football players, you get guys that have spent a good chunk of their lives not having anything to lose, and as a result, they don't give as much of a four-letter word. <laughs> how much? How much of this, though, in terms of uh, building legend around uh, uh, individual athletes, came from the day-to-day uh, -day production of the newspaper and the newspaper columnist? Jim Taylor was a friend of mine who passed away. If any of you. Younger people out there don't know Jim Taylor. You should look up some of his books that that, that he uh, wrote. He Canadian, wrote he, Canadian he, Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, right. Yeah, and he wrote the book on Gretzky. Uh, yeah. Wrote the book on Jim Young. Speaking of, see in the uh, Hockey uh, Hall? No, he isn't. No, he, he isn't. No. Uh, um, and, and you know, um, you know, Jim Coleman was a guy that that I got to know who who goes way back into the uh, into the twenties, thirties, forties. Uh, was, you know, but Canada, Russia, back. 72. But they built up legends. Yes, this doubles right? back to what I was they talking about. They built up myth. 
Yeah, it doubles right? back to what I was talking about when I said that people are more stats oriented than ever, and yeah. unfortunately, that's the way the reporting is going too. Which well, it's easier. Is, well, and it's less risky. It's yeah. I mean, it's it's um. Well, I don't know. In hockey circles, it seems to be risky to point out that statistically, this guy sucks, but he's got grit and character and intangibles. <laughs> But he doesn't help you in hockey games. <laughs> anyway, but um, yeah, I mean, it's that is a valuable window into professional sports too. These guys that can mm -hmm. that can pull stats, apply meaning to them, and create a bigger picture from them. That is an that is a very impressive skill in its own right. What we have lost, though, in a lot of places, is the older school of telling stories, spinning mm -hmm. yarns. Mm -hmm. You know, a, a guy that tries to do that in this market and still does pretty well is, is Ed Willis. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Ben Kuzma is another guy that does that in this market. Mm -hmm. uh, Ian McIntyre is another guy that does that in this market, though I have my issues with the way that he spins some things with the organization. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, there is still that old guard a little bit in this market. But I, I know throughout, like, as we're losing dailies across the province and all that kind of stuff, like, it, it's or across the country, I should say, it's becoming rarer and rarer to see those true storyteller types of, of writers. Well, and then there's there's the perusing and reporting. Like, you know, for instance, like if you haven't picked up a paper in quite some time, and, you know, I pick up a paper maybe once a month now when I'm on the ferry uh, yeah. coming across, I find a different patter, pattern of uh, consuming information uh, in terms of, going through page by page and looking at things that aren't tuned to me through an algorithm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so I break out of my, out of my patterns and my ruts. And that is something that, that we used to do in our home every day. We used to have the morning paper and the evening paper mm -hmm. in, in our homes. So we had that flow of information. We had agate type that we, we go to box scores for, we yeah. consume that data in, in, in a different way yeah. where it was, where it was broader based and, and, no, that and, being and more said, comparable though, between sports even. That being said though, the other end of the spectrum that we're also, I think a victim of the fact that news in this country has become more nationalized and more syndicated than ever as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been, I've looked through some of the sports sections of, of the local dailies here, the province and sun, and I'm disgusted because three quarters of the sports section is stuff from like Toronto Sun staff writers mm -hmm. or Calgary Herald staff writers and you're like what why why cannot can you not provide local content in the local paper and if you if you feel like you need to do that to fill the paper well guess what cut down your sports section well there's also the other like our our, our partner on the show Mike Hogan is the voice of the Argonauts mm -hmm. but the voice of the Argonauts only does games Home in games. the GTA yeah. he doesn't travel with the team so yeah. so there is a path of storytelling which I mean he did he did miss out on some yeah, well, on yeah. some trying times this past weekend <laughs> this weekend <laughs> But, but there, there, is, there is a path of storytelling and understanding that gets cut off at the pass. And, 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 and I think if we're, if we're driving data versus driving stories, and stories are the emotional connection, data is the logical connection. Yeah. If we're just making this about driving data, we're losing that human connection. Mm -hmm. and, and we're losing that magnet and the draw that is actually going to compel people to have that emotional connection mm -hmm. to be in a seat. Yeah, and and that is that's part of the equation that sits in front of us right now. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think I also think the modern audience has different attitudes towards their journalists and what they expect of them as well. I mean, I'm a good example in that I cannot stand on-air broadcasters who are fanboys. Mm -hmm. I can't stand mm -hmm. yeah, it. Same here. I can't yeah. stand it. 
Uh, I, I really don't like it. And, and I, one of the things I alluded to with Ian McIntyre earlier on, uh, just an example in this market, is one of my complaints about him is I feel like he's way too apologetic for an organization that's not very well run right now. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, and it's, I guess you could call that being kind of a fan, mm -hmm. right? But that mm -hmm. that's what old school journalists used to be. They used to yeah. be fans of the team and they put the words out there uh, that... Like they, they put words to what the fans were all feeling. They were in mm -hmm. tune with the fan base. And I mean, when we lost Jason Botchford in this market yeah. a few months back, you know, it really felt like we lost that, that pulse, that voice of the fan base. Um, but well, those I, are just, I, those are so rare these days. I, I work side by side with Neil McCray. And, yeah, there's a really good well. Example. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he he actually went over the line a lot of a lot of mm -hmm. times, in my opinion, in terms of the way he characterized certain individuals uh, mm -hmm. in, in the marketplace. But at the same time, there, there, there. He represented the populist view. Yep. I, I think. Uh, you know, uh, worked with a guy by the name of Jay Paul McConnell, who's in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame, longtime yep. voice of the Lions. Yep. Um, did did a he did a phenomenal job, and there aren't that many people left in this business anymore of making sure that when you did a sports report, you did more than just the hockey team, or you did more than just the hockey and the football team. You'd reach in and grab some junior B scores. Now is, J or, is JP the guy that that retired off to France, or was that Phil? That's Till? right. No, no, that's that's uh, JP. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. JP has a has a villa in, in France, and uh, the last time he was out in Vancouver, we had more than a few, and we've got an open invitation to go to the villa in France. Actually, I'm going to London with, with the IFAP thing. Maybe I should just knock on his door. Hey, might as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he can let the dogs loose on me. <laughs> but but anyway. Speaking uh, of IFAP, when's the next IFAP event, like major event going on? Because I know there was some talk about a world championship <laughs> in Australia. Like what? What's what's going am on? I, what's am I allowed to talk about this? Thing? Well, I'm not sure. You, you're going to have to tell oh, me. But I know that boy. I know that we had a blast in Mexico City yes. a, a year and a half ago. The, and, the next, and it, the it next, felt like that momentum is just gone. The next scheduled, you know, um, I got air quotes. People can't see the air quotes here. The next scheduled IFAF event is the next World Junior, which is U19 right now, event, and it's scheduled for the United States. Uh, there, uh, breaking news, there is um, some discussion uh, happening uh, with the United States trying to find a partner in this, and they come knocking on our door in Canada to try to partner with them on this. And that's okay. nine months out from the, from the, uh, from the tournament. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if we, so if, thinking, if, if like we had endless, if, if, yeah, if we had endless resources, we'd love to do it. So we're in the middle of working on that right now. Uh, I've suggested that, you know, we could go Laval and Maine, or yeah. we could go Grand Forks, North Dakota and Regina, mm -hmm. uh, or mine at North Dakota and Regina, because a smaller town in the United States is probably going to embrace something like this a lot yeah. more than than footballville like Canton, where they have the Hall of Fame game, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, you know, 12 high school teams that could kick most people's asses, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, that it's football central there. There's oversaturation in Canton, even though it's a, it's a great location and it would be a great cultural experience for the, for the, uh, for the teams that come in from, from outside to, to, to be a part of. Um, We'll, we'll, we'll see if there's a path there for 2020. There's an outside chance that the 2020 World Championship could be played in Europe. Okay. Um, 
I guess I will find out as president of Football Canada here's, when we well, go to the IFAF what, conference in, uh, in, in London in November. What I would be doing if I were trying to locate it would be making it venue-driven, and, and you talked about cultural experiences. I mean, that's one of the reasons why Grand Forks is such a good option, mm -hmm. because there's a there's a really good football culture mm -hmm. there at, uh, is, it's UND. UND. Or, yeah, UND. Okay. It's yeah. Not, not North Dakota State. Yeah, so... Um, but it's uh, like I would uh, Eastern Washington in yeah. Cheney, Washington. Yeah. Beautiful, the bright red turf. Mm -hmm. You know, really unique venue. Mm -hmm. uh, if you want to go a little bigger, go to Boise. Yeah, Boise's a, a great little town. Yeah, um, Spokane's a great town. You yeah, know, you know all, all those towns. Uh, you know, that being said, we've got to find a. Way. It's an expensive tournament to run. Yeah, it's an expensive tournament to run because you need. X number of days between games. Early on, it can be three days. If you if you stretch it out with a full medal round, you need four days. This is something that can stretch out over 17 days. Mm -hmm. Where do you house the guys? How do you house them? How do you transport them? How do you feed them? Who pays what? Is there a team fee? Does the host pay for uh, uh, for for everything on the ground? Do they take care of everything? And then you know. Who pays for what? And then how do you drive tickets? Because it's been proven in the United States that these global tournaments don't drive ticket sales. Mm -hmm. It was proven in Mexico when we were down there. These global tournaments drive ticket sales, yeah. right? Um, in Canada, you know, we've got CFL 2.0 out there. You know, CFL could play a role in this if they uh, made the choice to. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it could drive awareness and it could drive ticket sales if it was tied into some existing season ticket package. Unfortunately, um, bringing it to, to Canada on this much notice is is a Hail Mary mm -hmm. right now. Uh, yeah, how do you organize either a full or half a uh, world tournament eight months out, eight months in advance? Yeah. It's pretty hard to do. It's possible. Don't get me wrong. It's possible if you get enough partners the only buying way, into Yeah, I mean, this, the only but... way I see to do it is to make is to have a university on board. You mentioned Laval as a yeah. possibility. You get so you have the housing taken care of, the venues taken care of. There's a lot of infrastructure in place there to take care of a lot of what you're trying to do. Yeah. If you can have a a university on board with it, that's about the only way I can see it being viable at all. That's right. And, and then and then in addition to that university, uh, you need a football operation, and Laval is the only one that can do this as a university. Mm -hmm. But there are. CFL teams that if you partnered with a CFL team like the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for example that have about 26,000 season ticket holders if you if you added a $20 uh, pass to the event you could take care of most of your costs if you did well, it that way CFL, but, but, CFL's trying to insert itself into a new market starting next year how about that yeah how yeah, about that yeah no there's you know there's there's all kinds of ways but doing it on such short notice um, that's a challenge. Now, that being said, Canada has the 2024 World Junior Championships, which will move to a U20, and and we we're we're planning accordingly, like four to five years ahead and in advance, and and making sure that we have the funding in place to 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 do it that way. And if we have a uh, a solid second bid, we're looking at doing a 12-man tournament in 2022. Okay. But, but but we need we need to make sure that we have the right host and the right resources to do all of that and that we can deliver television to that. Mm -hmm. Because because television, even in this age of, of, of devices, is still the backbone uh, to uh, to developing your your, uh, your future sponsorship as part of a strategic plan. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's, there's plenty of opportunities, uh, but I do agree with you, the momentum 
after the uh, 2018 World Championship has died off significantly. And that's, that's uh, you know, it's partly on IFAF. Quite frankly, they've had a lot of battles behind the scenes. And, well, and I know they it, were dealing with a split with some of the European countries at that point in time, and I don't know how that's gone uh, since then. But uh, there was a, there was a split. There was Germany still on the outside looking in. There's there were court cases. There were there was money taken out of uh, out of bank accounts by people in the shadows. <laughs> there were people owning 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 websites, so IFAF couldn't run its website. It was. It was it was really you know you talk about personality and athletes, right? Mm -hmm. Going 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 uh, going way back in history. What IFAF is going through now reminds me of what international hockey went through when Bunny occurred. Right? Look him up. People probably don't know who I'm talking about. UK hockey stacked his team full of Canadians and won an Olympic gold medal with an ice hockey team built with Canadians and, and, and was a constant pain in the ass to everyone from North America who was involved in, in international the, hockey, of right? The, like the Bunny news. Ahern, look him up. It reminds me of the news that Israel qualified for the, for I think it was the Olympics, the next Olympics for baseball. And I was like, oh, what a great story for Israel. And I'm like, if their roster is anything like it was in the last World Baseball yeah. Classic, yeah. there were two players on the entire roster born in Israel. Two players in the entire roster. Like, I'm not interested in watching a team of Jewish Americans play against a team of whatever, non-Jewish Americans. Like, it just, it, it, yeah, anyway, uh, that's, uh, that's neither here nor there. But, you know, you alluded, I, I'm going to trend, I'm going to segue a little bit. You talked no, about no, the iCloud website. Nothing like, nothing like right of return, by the way. But yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Um, you talked about the iFab website. Like, I know that we've discussed this <laughs> ad nauseum. I know that we've discussed this ad nauseum <laughs> on our various platforms, Jim. When is U Sports going to have something just functional for a website? I, we noticed as we were going to air today, this is now Sunday afternoon, so this is over 24 hours after the Panda Games ended. They finally updated the score on the website to reflect the actual score of the Panda Game. When that game ended yesterday, I looked at it about an hour after it ended to see how the, what the final score was, and the score was listed as 10-3 to for Carlton. Actual final score, 32-10 to for the Ottawa GGs. It's the year frickin' 2019. It is the year 2019. They can't even have an accurate score. I'm not necessarily expecting live stats updating all the time or anything like that. They can't even have some, a widget that provides accurate scores consistently on their website. And what drives me even more nuts is that if you go to each of the conference's individual websites, they have all figured it out. All you have to do is literally tie that scoreboard page to the conference's scoreboard where they are all posting reliable and accurate scores and that's literally all you have to do they have not managed to do that yet it drives me bananas and then you factor in all the flash and stuff that that runs on that website and it is the slowest website to run of any of them as well like it, it's this isn't even a matter of taking the product to the next level. This is the matter. This is just a matter of basic competency to support your product. Like it, it, it just, it, it blows my mind, and I hate that. I it sounds like we constantly crap on this organization. But what else can you do when this is still an issue two years down the line? Well, you know, there there was a there was a fella 
who designed Olympic Stadium uh, from France. Uh, didn't, didn't come over and, and survey the, the site where Olympic Stadium was built. He just passed away this week. I think his name's Francois Tellier. And, and, and he built this wonderful looking, impossible to complete, um, somewhat monstrosity of a stadium that is a, that is a symbol to uh, waste and bad planning. On top of landfill, uh, yeah, ironically exactly, enough, too, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and thus we have Olympic Stadium. Well, so U Sports brought this guy in from France to build this website, who's no longer with U Sport right now. And I liken the two together because the, 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 the U Sports website is a bit of a monstrosity that, 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 that is a little garish in places and is not functional in many other places, just like Olympic Stadium. Now, that being said, uh, I know they've got the right people in place to kind of turn that thing around. And that being said, I, I wish that uh, the folks at U-Sport would take the secret website. Yeah, they have a secret website, which is the old football website. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if I've shared the link with you. CISSIC.org. Yeah, it's, it's the old Presto Sports website that, okay. that, that drives. It's like, it's like going back in time, Gord where you could get reliable stats that's tied to all of those different sources. Yeah, no, you so, haven't so, shared so, that with so, me. So, yeah, well, I'll share it with you after, after this, um, after this uh, podcast here. But the thing is, there is an actual site they can use that works <laughs> that, they, that they won't let the public get access to. Yeah. Like, you know, what's the deal with that? I mean, <laughs> well, I, I, just I, like <laughs> you look at you look at it from a business perspective and, and it's just it's an easy fix to all sorts of damage being done to your brand. And it, it's just at some point you're like, how many more hits can this organization take, especially the self-inflicted wounds? Like it just I don't know. It's just it's it's to me more than anything else. It is just sad. It, it, it really is because well, you look at all the good quality people that have poured themselves into the sport at this level, mm -hmm. be it on the field, on the sidelines, in the press boxes, sports information departments, yeah. athletic departments, Not for lack of all those kinds of people. Yeah. And it feels like their efforts are wasted because the, the organization that's in charge of putting a face on the product isn't doing, isn't doing a good job. It comes across looking like lipstick on a pig. Well, the, the, the <laughs> uh, now sitting in the chair of President of Football Canada, uh, I'm getting exposure to just how ungovernable Canada is. Uh, how how regions have different takes. Uh, different and this structures. is not a football program. This, we've seen yeah, we've seen yeah. these kinds of issues come up across all sports across all sports, this country. Soccer's had major issues. Rugby's had issues in the past. You, you we can, just saw the bobsleigh Canada issues come yeah. up with Kaylee Humphreys. Hey, you can you can extend this to, to arts and culture too. You mm -hmm. can you can extend this to any number of institutions in Canada in terms of uh, regional competition or incompatibility or different visions or, or different outlooks on how they see themselves playing within the national structure. And it's excruciating. And uh, lately with some of the things that I've been dealing with uh, mm -hmm. at, the, uh, at the Football Canada level, it is, <laughs> it is hard to navigate. Right, things that are that are evident and logical and lawful that 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 we should be pursuing uh, get instant pushback because it is seen as uh, a challenge to a to a regional right, 
uh, or, or an entitlement. And uh, I can see that getting back to your U Sports uh, position, that's, you know, as much as I disagreed with, 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 uh, with U Sports and Graham Brown in the past on a few things, I can see what that guy is up against mm -hmm. in, in terms of these small schools over here don't want to do this. This region doesn't want to do this. We can't find consensus on this. You know, why are you bringing this forward at this time? What, you know, what, what's this agenda? We're suspicious of the all of those things where you have good, uh, good policy or you have good governance or you even have good intentions mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, going down a road to try to, to, try to get a, uh, an outcome which can advance the sport. Y you've got too many well, individual say, groups pulling threads from the quilt for it to hold it together. Yeah, I mean, what, and, and that, that's a larger Canadian issue. Like it, as, as we sit here right now in this election campaign, what do you see? Do you see a national campaign? I don't see a national campaign. I see four regional campaigns. I see five regional campaigns. Mm -hmm. I don't see anything on a national basis mm -hmm. with a national vision. So if we're, if we're asking like an institution that is, that is like U Sports working in that national framework to try to communicate a national vision when nobody's actually through their day-to-day -day lives sees a national vision, mm -hmm. how impossible is that to achieve? Well, it, it is impossible. It, what's at the core of the, the issues across all these different sports, though, for me is, and, and it's great to be proud of what we do, but it seems like there are a lot of people in this country that are fully convinced that we do a fantastic job of, of a lot of these things. No, we don't. And they're, and they're just like, oh, well, why are we challenging this? We've done a great job. No, we haven't. No, no like, we I, haven't. I, the only sport that we do well in this country right now is hockey. Mm -hmm. Maybe figure skating. Uh, the sliding sports have generally been successful, but that just blew up recently. Well, that, that's, you know, that's on a small else, scale, too. That's everybody, on a small but, scale. But everybody else, like, it underachieves, and we don't do justice to the people that dedicate their lives to being excellent in these things. And we just, there's there's too many freaking people around who are just like, oh, well, it's, it, we, it's good. It's good. It's good enough. So? Well, like, the, I, I think the, the challenge for anyone in sport... Why do, why do we, you just mentioned it, why do we want to change this? Well, because we see more potential than is the current reality. Like, I don't know why that's so hard well, to where, sell where, in this where, where, where is the institutional focus? Is the institutional focus on the institution itself? Or is the institutional focus on the outcome that you're trying to get out of the coach or the athlete? That, that's, that seems to, to me to, to be... The, the point of struggling when it comes to the people who have the ability to make the decisions, whether they make the decisions for themselves in their own bubble or actually see the broader context of affecting individuals who are engaged in their sport. And I think that that is the ultimate challenge uh, that, that we face as we go from institution to institution, from sport to sport. And, uh, you know, you're generally a progressive in sport if you're if you're finding ways to break out of your institution and look at stakeholders mm -hmm. and look at individuals that, that you're trying to reach. I'll give you an example. Like football in BC right mm -hmm. now. We have a provincial organization and we have a high school organization. Mm -hmm. Those two groups do not communicate with each other and they do so at their peril. Yeah. Right? And by, by not communicating with each other, by putting a wall up between each other, they are weaker sitting in two fragments mm -hmm. than finding a way to work together and communicating together, mm -hmm. 
right? Because why? Because they're about their institutions. Yep. They're not about the, 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 the you know, as much, you're, you're a high school coach, you're about your players, mm -hmm. but you've been, you've been exposed to the institutional time. Those guys over there don't know what they're doing, mm -hmm. right? I hear it from both sides. We gotta put our people first. No, you gotta put your players first. Mm -hmm. You gotta put your coaching development first. And as a result, you have to put your game first. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't happen enough in this country. And you, you, you can probably hear me starting to frickin' lose an edge here with this, but it, it, it is so frustrating uh, to, 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 to face the, the, uh, the walls and the barriers that everybody puts up around themselves in this country. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's the reason that I threw myself into, into, uh, into this uh, position in Football Canada, knowing that it was going to be a, a feast of stress. And it, it takes up more oh, time. I, it put, takes up more time than putting this TV show together it's, right now. It's, it's yeah, frustrating. My, 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 my wife said, "She said, look, they made you a keyboard monkey. Yeah. Like, like, why are you doing this? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, it's frustrating <laughs> too because a lot of these organizations they say, well, but we do, we do play along with with everybody else. Like, we we are quite cooperative, and, and it's just in some ways they are. In many it, ways they're not. But yeah, and it and it sucks that they've convinced themselves of that because the, you're right. The game gets sidetracked, and the game is hurt by bureaucratic bullshit. I've gone through a lot of it. I've gone through a fair amount of it personally. In that, um, just like our our high school program plays out of our home venue is uh, the home venue for a local community football organization. Mm -hmm. And it has been for many years. We're the new kids on the block. We rent it out from the parks board. It's not like we're getting a sweetheart deal or anything like that. And, and we pay our way in. But they have on that facility, and this like blows people's minds when they find this out. So on that facility, there is a permanent press box, or not press box, but a permanent spotter's booth that's enclosed and really well built and all that kind of stuff. There's a beautiful scoreboard at the end of the end of the field. We can't touch either of them. Mm -hmm. We've reached out to the organization multiple times. We've offered to basically pay to rent access to the scoreboard. We've offered to do all sorts of things. No, 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 not gonna work. Sorry, it doesn't work for us. No, 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 no. It's like, really? Like, so now we're What having... are you guys about? Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you about? Are you, well, are you and, about and, playing the game? And the president of that organization is a guy who has been running that organization for eons. And he's a guy who notoriously does, he sees high school football as competition. And he is not interested in, in getting along and, and playing ball with them whatsoever. And it's unfortunate because his organization has now disappeared once kids get to high school age. Mm -hmm. Because they realize that it's a better product at that level. It's a better level of competition and you get more exposure if you're gonna play high school ball versus playing community ball. And that has just unfortunately fueled his opinion that high school is his competition and they are an adversary of his. Yeah, and, instead of finding alignments. It, yeah. And so that's the one thing that I find within our sport that is very frustrating is that we are only reactive in these situations. We can't uh, pre-plan uh, and, and create outcomes or find alignments between groups uh, because one of our board of directors said they're worried about somebody's donkey being on their property a hundred years ago. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, and, you know, I, I agree with that sentiment. We, you know, there, there's all kinds of room for alignments, but it takes compromise and no one's willing to compromise. No, no, they're not. And it, it's, it's too bad too because you talk about like, alignment in this province between those two governing bodies and you see examples in little capsules where it's working yeah 
you know, the South Delta High School with the Delta Canadian Football Organization leading into it, perfect alignment. It's produced one of the most successful programs from top to bottom in the province. Mm -hmm. New Westminster being another example yeah. of that. Royal City Youth Organization feeds right into New Westminster High School and they don't run anything at the high school age and the high school doesn't launch grade 8 ball or anything like that but they help each other out and there's alignment from top to bottom and they're one of the healthiest organizations and one of the most saturated football areas in the province. I mean, you see the success stories out there and yet there, there aren't more and, and it just it's it's surprising and it's disappointing to me to see that isn't it amazing in a game that emphasizes so much in terms of uh, of teamwork and bringing uh, different types of individuals together and different personalities together that we have so many fissures mm -hmm. all over the place and so many silos all over the place in this country yeah and uh i mean it's I, I wonder if it's the labor of love aspect to it too. And oh, that, I think you know, so. A lot, yeah. a lot of these people are are doing so out of their own passion and volunteer time. And you know, if anybody wants to attack that, people are very fiercely protective of their of their volunteer time, mm -hmm. rightfully so. But yeah. you know, I think that's one of the elements of it as well. Yeah. Is is you know, it's it's people's passion projects as opposed to professionals running an organization mm -hmm. that are getting paid to do so and can be a, maybe a little bit less emotional about it. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I mean, I got I got emotional ten minutes ago about it, so, you know. But I, I put a lot like on the football Canada side. I don't get a dollar for it. No. You know. So, but it's but it's, well, it's the same into thing a with all. It's job, the same right? thing with all the time and energy I put into my high school yeah. program. Like I, I'm, yeah. I'm not gonna let. I know I'm. I try to watch my language, but I'm not gonna let anybody fuck with that program. Yeah. I, there is too much invested in that for me. Yeah. I'm gonna do everything humanly possible to protect that program and protect what we've done. So. With that sentiment, though, and with that uh, uh, minor program out there, mm -hmm. with your stance, with that minor program stance, how do you build a bridge between the two of them? Is there a possible I'm, I'm way happy of to build a bridge? Building, building, I'm happy to build a bridge. a bridge between the two of them. Yeah. I am. Yeah. The, the reality is that they don't run anything past the 13-year-old uh, age level, which mm -hmm. is junior bantam in, in youth football, mm -hmm. that they haven't been able to field a bantam or a midget team since before we even existed. Mm -hmm. So they can't even say that this is our problem. But I have no interest in running a grade 8 team at our school, mm -hmm. which would overlap with that level. Mm -hmm. um, I think the next to, on the other side that is in this organization's same area is Lord Tweetsner High School, mm -hmm. which runs a grade 8 program. Mm -hmm. I'm, I believe that the best way forward for all of us is for the two schools and the organization to get together and say, look, we are not going to run grade eight football. We want you to be strong through that junior bantam level and develop our kids so that we pick them up in grade nine and we do the upper levels. And we can provide you with support, coaching support, whatever else. We can run clinics, you know, those kinds of things so that we have this kind of paternalistic view of the organization as a feeder for us. And if that, if that organization still wanted to deal with older ages, would you be supportive of, a, of an abbreviated uh, spring schedule like they have in Edmonton that runs about four to six weeks? Um, if, they, if they still want to indulge themselves in that and if they still feel that that, that, that is part of their identity as a, as a, as a community operation? I, would, I, would, I think I would support it as long as it was non-contact. Mm -hmm. uh, and and but if you're if you're in the spirit of working together, then you know yeah, coaches, find a, find coaches from the well, and coaches from the high schools come and help coach those spring teams if yeah. they need them or whatever, right? I mean, yeah. uh, my biggest concern with with uh, my players doubling in two different organizations is that their attention gets pulled away from 
the program, the learning, the techniques that, that we're trying to develop with them, right? Well, and I think there's also the other consideration is that in, in the springtime, maybe they should be playing some other sport. I mean, I'm a strong, I'm a strong believer of that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the reality is if a community organization is running one team at that level, then you know not all of your players have to double up and play. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I have always been a big multi-sport proponent. I I will continue to be, as much as it's a pain in the ass working around hockey, which is inflexible as anything. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, I had a kid this week, miss uh, miss. He was going to be juggling between us and hockey anyway. His hockey team sprung a surprise game on him on Tuesday, which was supposed to be the day that he was going to be at our full football practice, the only day this week. They sprung a surprise game on him that he found out about on Monday. I'm like, what the, what the fuck is that? A surprise <laughs> game? Like, I just, I was like, what? So, well, it, I'll anyway. give him credit. It's like a pickup game. <laughs> Except it's a pickup game that you have to be at. Yeah. Right? Because that's yeah. the way that anyway, that's the way that sport works. But um no, I, I will I will always be a multi-sport proponent. But if a kid chooses to specialize, like I'm gonna say, look, I think you should probably be doing something else in the spring, but if that's what you want to do, then that's what you want to do. Have we solved anything here? No. No, I didn't think so. <laughs> uh that's not our job. We that, just we just no, toss no, around. It, no, ideas. Actually, it, oh, it's it, your it's job. My it's not job. my job. It's my job. Uh but you know, we're working on it. Uh, thanks to CFL Reddit for getting the uh, getting the podcast out there as usual. He's Gord Randall. I'm Jim Mullen. You've been listening to the Crown Gridiron Nation podcast. And let's get out to the polls. Get out to the polls. Go vote. Go Rhinos. Go Rhinos.